Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It's not much, but here's my best. Joseph and Mary, two poor kids, about to bring in the Messiah into the world. They have to present a sacrifice. All they had were two little, two little pigeons. It wasn't much, but it was the best they had. And that sacrifice was received from God. Because God doesn't care how much. He cares about how the sacrifice is offered. God doesn't really need our money or time or energy. He's God. He created everything and could wipe it out by just uttering the word. Yet he asks us to offer ourselves, including our money, our talents, gifts, resources, everything, to him. As Pastor James will point out in today's message, it's not really the offerings that we bring that matter to God. It's our heart in the act. That's what really matters. When we offer those things to him, however big or small, it demonstrates a heart that is grateful and submitted. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 20 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. priests must not shave their heads or trim their beards or cut their their bodies. They must be set apart as holy to their God and must never bring shame upon the name of God. They must be holy for they are the ones who present the special gifts, the sacrifices to the Lord, gifts of food for their God. So he's, he's clearly stating, if you're a priest, if you're a minister, you live differently. And the priests and ministers of these pagan religions would sometimes shave their heads. Uh, they would cut themselves, and that's a ceremonial thing that has nothing to do with, that. Had, again, we've covered this before, has nothing to do with tattoos or anything like that. And tattoo was mentioned. We already covered that. But that's not, that's for the dead. That was ceremonial. That's a worship thing, okay? Tattoo's good. Cutting yourself for the dead, bad, right? Like, we get that, right? Okay? For the priest, you must be set apart. And you got to even even compared to this regular congregation, like you got it, you're held to a, a higher standard. And these are just the priests. We're not even to the high priest yet. It says priests may not marry a woman who uh, a woman defiled by prostitution. Okay, so there's one. You can be married, but you just can't marry a prostitute. And they may not marry a woman who is divorced from her her husband. So, and the, the reasoning behind that could be the fact that, well, what was the cause of the divorce? Was it adultery and all that? So there's, there's a distinction that has to be made there. It says, for the priests are set apart as holy to their God. You must treat them as holy because they offer up food to your God. You must consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy and I make you holy. I make you holy. There you go. If a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she also defiles her father's holiness, and she must be burned to death. Well, that's pretty serious. God takes even how the priest and how he manages his household pretty seriously, too. So you can't be like a saint in the pulpit and then absent at home, and then your kids go nuts. And God's going to, it's for dads, I can speak on behalf of dads, for anybody who serves in ministry, 
I can tell you this, you'll be held to a standard of accountability before Jesus himself saying, yeah, you did that church thing really well, but where were you at home? Where were you at home? Well, the church is all that mattered. No, your house is what mattered, and you were an unfaithful servant. You played the part, but you were unfaithful. And that, you you know, we know the deal. I mean, your kids are going to do what your kids are going to do, but my goodness, we should not give them avenues or opportunities to go out and, and just go crazy because as men, we're not there for them and leading them in a Christ-like manner. These priests are held to a higher standard. God's like, hey, your daughter goes nuts. That's a reflection on you. That's a reflection on you. And you're like, I don't like that. That's how it is. There's a, there's a high standard to being a, a husband, to being a father, to being a, a, a minister. There's a high standard to these things. And we should never seek to lower the bar. God has set the bar. We should never try to make it easier for anybody. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, pull up your boots, man. Like, get to work. Like, there's no time. We're not going to, there's no participation trophies in this thing. That's that's nonsense. By the grace of God, we show up every single day. And we battle. We battle for our families. We battle for our churches. This is like a battle cry for men in churches. Men need to show up in churches. The, the ladies can do church really well, really well. This is like a battle cry for men because, man, you should be, there should be leaders in the church that are like fighters for the church and fighters for families and fighters for communities. We will be held accountable just for, that's for you, that's for myself, that's for all, all the guys here in the room watching online, listening later on. We will be held accountable with, for what, with what God has entrusted us with. Now, everybody will be held accountable, but I'm just saying this. For us guys, we have to step up. We have to step up. There can't be any pansies in the, the kingdom of God, right? Like, that's just not, that doesn't work. We'll let the women do it. They like doing that stuff anyways. <laughs> Whatever, right? No, they just show up and they do it. And they do it well. They do amazing. And I read through the whole Bible and I see like the women were showing up quite often. And God was speaking to them quite often. Where were the guys at? Talking to you, Samson's dad. Because that angel met with mama twice. <laughs> I don't know where dad was at. I'm not saying he was a bad guy or anything like that, but I'm just saying like, there's a, there's a thing there. There's a standard that's there. And I think that we should, man, I think that we should see that. And as guys, we should be challenged and say, you know what? Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's do this. Verse 10, the high priest has the, this is the high priest now. The high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. The anointing oil has been poured on his head. He has been ordained to wear the priestly garments. He must never leave his hair uncombed. Oh, that's good to know. Um, or tear his clothing. He must not defile himself by going near a dead body. He may not make himself ceremonially unclean, even for his father or mother. Oof. Like, you can't. Yeah, there's a distinction there. No, you're the high priest. You go into the Holy of Holies. But what if mom and dad pass away? It doesn't say you can't mourn in one sense, but you can't mourn like the others. It's a high calling, though. 
He must not defile the sanctuary of God by leaving this to attend to a dead person, for he has been made holy by the anointing oil of God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, the high priest may marry only a virgin. He may not marry a widow. Um, he may not marry a widow, a woman who is divorced, or a woman who has defiled herself by prostitution. She must be a virgin from his own clan, not his family, but clan. Okay, we get that. We, we've already went through chapter 20. We know. Um, it says, so that he will not dishonor his descendants among his clan, for I am the Lord who makes him holy. So the idea there is that um, God wants, if this guy's going to get married, that because it would be his descendants that follow along the, the family business, so to speak. So if he marries this lady who has kids and then they become the family, then it just gets all kind of convoluted, so to speak. And that's why God's saying for the high priest, you know, marry, marry a virgin, have kids with her, and then those kids, your descendants, will carry on the high priestly calling, so to speak. Um, I think I'm in verse 16. Okay, there we go. I get a head nod. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to Aaron and all future generations. None of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect uh, qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, deformed, or has a broken foot or an arm or is hunchback or dwarfed or has a defective eye or skin sores or scabs, or even damaged testicles. That's a fun word there. Um, yeah, damaged reproductive parts, okay? It says, no descendant of Aaron who has any defect may approach the altar to present special gifts to the Lord. Since he has a defect, he may not approach the altar to offer food to his God. However, he may eat from the food offered to God, including the holy offerings and the most holy offerings. Yet because of his physical defect, he may not enter the room behind the inner curtain or approach the altar, for this would defile my holy place. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So they are still holy, but they can't present the sacrifices because much like the sacrifices themselves, they have a blemish. And God says, I want a perfect sacrifice. So this is beyond people's control. Like, I, I didn't... No, I'd have a jacked up eye and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but you, you could still eat from the food. You still get to participate, but you just can't serve in this manner. That's just how the Lord had it. But he was setting the standard there. It's not anything against these people. It's just the, it's the standard that God, that God had put in place. So Moses gave these instructions to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites, okay? So there you go. Verse or chapter 22, real quick, look at this. We're flying through this. Don't worry. Questions will, discussion time is coming. Here's the, uh, for the priest, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to be very careful with the sacred gifts that Israel set, uh, Israelites set apart for me. So they do not bring shame on my holy name. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Give them the following instructions. So now we're talking about the sacrificers. Now we're going to talk about the sacrifices, okay? In all future generations, if any of your descendants are ceremonially unclean when he approaches the sacred offerings that the people of Israel consecrate to the Lord, he must be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord, right? So come correct is what God's saying, okay? Don't show up a mess in one sense right? Defiled, and I was just rolling around in a bunch of dead bodies and all that good stuff, and I just decided I'd go to church, right? You're like, that's insane. I know, but you get what I'm saying. Like, there's no regard for God at all in their personal life. 
but I'll shake it off and I'll put, play the part at church. God says, you can't do that. You can't live this way and then show up to church and try to live this way. You need to be set apart there at home or wherever. And I'm saying church, you get what I'm saying though, right? It says, if any of Aaron's descendants has a skin disease or any kind of discharge that makes him ceremonially unclean, he may not eat of the sacred offerings until he has been pronounced clean. He also becomes unclean by touching a corpse or by having an emission of semen. That's fun. Uh, or by touching small animals, <laughs> touching a small animal that is unclean. Or by touching someone who is ceremonially unclean for any reason, right? Who is inspecting this, right? Like who had that job, right? You're just like, <laughs> all right, let's go through the checklist. You're like, oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. Um, yeah. Yeah, imagine filling out that application for that volunteer service at church, okay? So there you go. Um, I just updated all our volunteer applications. None of these questions will be on there, okay? So praise God for the grace of God, and we don't worry about some of this stuff anymore. There you go. Verse 6. The man who, has, who is defiled in any of these ways will remain unclean until evening. Okay, so he's not completely cut off. He's just cut off for a time period. He may not eat from the, sac- uh, from the sacred offerings until he has bathed himself in water. When the sun goes down, he will be ceremonially clean again and may eat from the sacred offerings. For this is his food, right? This is how they, this is how they ate. They're the priests, right? They, the food that came in, parts of those sacrifices were meant exclusively for them. So as a priest... That standard is pretty high, and it's like, God's like, you, yeah. Well, if you defile yourself, then, well, you're not eating. You got to go get yourself right. You got to go clean yourself up. And then after a certain amount of time, then you can come to the dinner table, but not until then. So the pressure was on these guys. It says, uh, let's see, verse, uh, I don't even know. Um, I'm going to say seven, right? Seven? Yeah, that sounds good. There's the bathe in water. Got that. Uh, When the sun goes down, he'll be ceremonially clean again. He can eat from the sacred offerings. I read this one. For this is his food. He may not eat an animal that has died a natural death or has been torn apart by wild animals, for this would defile him. I am the Lord. Uh, I keep on saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord, right? Verse nine. The priest must follow my instructions carefully. Otherwise, they will be punished for their sin and will die for violating my instructions. I'm the Lord who makes them holy. No one outside of priest's family may eat the sacred offerings. Even guests and hired workers in a priest's home are not allowed to eat them. However, this is kind of cool. If the priest buys a slave for himself, the slave may eat from the sacred offerings. And if his slaves have children, they also may share his food. That's amazing. Like, so the dudes who work for him, they can't eat this food. But if he bought a slave, a servant, okay, now in our brains, we need to re kind of, we need to reconfigure how we think of slavery in one sense, because it's not, not exactly like the slavery that we are most familiar with, okay? But in this scenario, if this priest, buys a slave, that slave has access to food that nobody else has access to. That's pretty incredible when you stop to think about that, that God would make this allowance for these specific people. His, his hired workers and all that good stuff, no, 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 you can't, 
you can't touch this. Oh, but he, God sees those guys as part of this man's family. That's pretty incredible. God does have compassion for all sorts of people. And, and even within this realm of these slaves, God's like, no, they can eat it. They can, they can help themselves to it. That's pretty amazing. And you, you would never see that unless you're going through the book of Leviticus. It's like, wow, I, I see that, and I'm just, it just always kind of just dings within my heart and my head of like, man, God, you are so good. You are so good. We're so wicked. He is so good that he even makes these allowances. I'm like, ah, this is incredible. This is amazing. Why don't more people talk about this stuff? Because nobody's going through Leviticus. That's why. That's why. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, a couple of verses ago, I know why. Um, there's emissions of stuff going on. Like, I, I know. This is human nature. It's part of the body. Um, anyways, distracting myself again. Um, okay, verse 12. If a priest's daughter marries someone outside the priestly family, she may no longer eat the sacred offerings because she's no longer under her father's covering. She now belongs to another guy, and she is under his covering, okay? So she can't eat the sacred offerings anymore. But if she becomes a widow or is divorced and has no children to support her, and she returns to live in her father's home... As in her youth, she may eat her father's food again because he's, she is his responsibility. Otherwise, no one outside a priest's family may eat the sacred offerings. No one outside the priest's family. So within the priest's family, it's the slaves, it's his daughter, and the Bible is very specific to say his daughter because the Bible and God, even in the Old Testament, cares about women. He does. It's cool. It's awesome. Here's God saying, yeah, yeah. This is how I want it to be. Verse 14, any such person who eats the sacred offerings without realizing it, uh uh-oh, didn't know I ate that, um, they must pay the price, they must pay the priest for the amount eaten, plus an additional 20%. Yikes, that's an expensive, uh, accidental eating that kebab, right? You're like, oh, I didn't know, that was set apart, right? Well, now you can, you pay them back, plus 20%, and there you go. Verse 15, the priest must not let the Israelites defile the sacred offerings brought to the Lord by allowing unauthorized people eat them. This would bring guilt upon them and require them to pay compensation. I am the Lord who makes them holy. You seen that, ver- that thing pop up all the time. I'm the Lord who makes them holy. I'm the Lord. And you can say, he is the Lord who makes me holy. I'm the Lord. I make them holy, right? Beautiful, amazing. Last part, 17. And the Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons and all the Israelites these instructions, which apply both to native Israelites and the foreigners living among you. If you present a gift as a burnt offering to the Lord, whether it is a, uh, to fulfill a vow or as a voluntary or free will offering, you will be accepted only if your offering is a male animal with no defects. It may, it may be a bull, a ram, a male goat. Do not present an animal with defects because the Lord will not accept it on your behalf. Because why would you offer him something that is not worthy of who he is? Okay? If you present a peace offering to the Lord from the herd of, or, or the flock, whether it is to fulfill a vow or as a voluntary offering, you must offer a perfect animal. It may have no defect of any kind. You must not offer an animal that is blind, crippled, injured, that has a warped a skin sore or scabs, such animals must never be offered on the altar as special gifts to the Lord. If a bull or a lamb has a leg that is too long 
or too short. <laughs> I don't. It may be offered as a voluntary offering, but it may not be offered to fulfill a vow. If an animal has damaged testicles or is castrated, you may not offer it to the Lord. You must never do this in your own land. You must not, uh, you must not accept such an animal from foreigners when they offer it as a sacrifice to God. Such animals will not be accepted, accepted on your behalf, for they are mutilated or defective. Again, this isn't about the animal. This is about the heart of the human being, okay? This is Cain and Abel. Okay, Abel's like, here's my best. Cain's like, mm, this won't hurt me too much to give you this. That's what God is warning them against. We give him our best because he is worthy of our best. These guys, just like me, would be, if he didn't say this, we'd be looking for like, give me the most weirdest animal I own that I couldn't sell this thing for anything. I'll offer that to God, Right? You mean that busted up old goat over there that nobody wants and I can't sell for anything. Yeah, I'm going to sacrifice that to God. Why? Because that's what he's worth. That's what my heart says. God says, no, I want your best. I want your best. I praise God we're not sacrificing animals these days, but he still asks for our best. He still asks for our best. Verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, when a calf or lamb or goat is born, it must be left with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as a special gift to the Lord, okay? So that's, that's God being nice to the animals, okay? Like, don't, and he's going to say right here, don't kill a mom and its baby, you know, in one offering, okay? It says, you must not slaughter a mother animal and her offspring on the same day, whether from the herd or the flock. When you bring a Thanksgiving offering to the Lord, sacrifice it properly so you will be accepted. Eat the entire sacrificial animal on the day it is presented. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. I am the Lord. You must faithfully keep all my commands by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on my holy name, for I, I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy." It is I who rescued you from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord. Beautiful. He's like, you didn't get yourself out of Egypt. I got you out of Egypt. You don't make yourself holy. I make you holy. And I'm going to give you, this, I'm going to give you these rules. I'm going to give you these guidelines. And I'm going to expect that you obey these guidelines. Why? Because I am holy and you must be holy because you're, you're to be a sanctified people. You're, you're a people that, who have been sanctified by the sacrifice and blood of Jesus Christ. Now he says, I want you to live that way. And when you worship me, and we've been saying this all from the beginning from Leviticus, we do not determine or define what worship is. God has defined and determines what is acceptable worship. We don't get to come with him with just whatever and all this stuff. He's like, this is how I will be worshiped. And part of that worshiping God is, we bring our best. We bring our best. We bring our best. It's not much, but here's my best. Joseph and Mary, two poor kids, about to bring in the Messiah into the world. They have to present a sacrifice. All they had were two little, two little pigeons. It wasn't much, but it was the best they had. And that sacrifice was received from God. God doesn't care how much. He cares about how the sacrifice is offered and what that reflection from our heart is. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless.
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is making his way through the book of Leviticus. Now, when we open the book of Leviticus, we first read these words. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He starts talking to Moses about the offerings that the people are to bring. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar, as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The animals they offered were to be without blemish. Now, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. And yet the writer of Romans says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We no longer sacrifice animals to cover our sin, but in reverence and in worship of Jesus who paid that price for us once and for all, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The book of Leviticus can open our eyes to how we're to live before the King of Kings. Here at Bread for the Broken, we're committed to helping people find hope and new life in Jesus. To hear other great messages filled with that hope and life, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. That's all that we have for today. Pastor James will be back with you next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.